Welcome to the Thought Leadership Project, a podcast by Jay Harrington and Tom Nixon, exploring how lawyers can turn expertise into thought leadership and thought leadership into new business. Welcome back to another episode of the Thought Leadership Project. I'm Jay Harrington. With me, as always, is my co-host, Tom Nixon. How are you, Tom? I'm good, Jay. How are you doing? Doing well, thanks. Um, Tom, uh, as we're recording this episode, uh, tomorrow will be Friday, and we'll be doing a retreat with our with our company uh, and our employees and kind of thinking about our vision for 2020 and what we want to accomplish. Um, and I think, you know, that's, I think what we want to dig in here uh, about for our listeners as well as they're trying to improve their their law firm's thought leadership and content marketing initiatives. And I think it'll be uh, valuable for them to hear the perspective of our guest today. Uh, Nat Slavin is joining us and he is a partner in the Wicker Park Group, which is a consultancy focused on helping law firms strengthen and deepen their relationships with in-house counsel through things like client feedback and other client facing programs. Um, and Wicker Park Group and Nat are, are very active uh, in, in the realm of thought leadership themselves. Um, and I think they provide a really valuable service in terms of giving law firms the feedback from the perspective of the buyer um, that they often don't have a chance to, uh, to gain and, and understand. So, so Nat, welcome to the show. We're, we're glad to hear, have you here. Well, thank you both for having me. It's an honor to be part of this conversation and uh, understand exactly what we're trying to get out of this and helping law firms listen to their clients and be thoughtful in delivering thought leadership. Yeah, and I thought in that regard, um, we can begin, Matt, with a, a few things. There's, there's a study that was released uh, within the last, I think, month or so. It was done by um, Edelman, uh, the PR and communications giant and, and LinkedIn, and it's called the B2B Thought Leadership Study. So I think it's, it's apropos for um, what we're discussing here today in the broader B2B context. But I, I wanted to share a couple um, findings from that study and, and use that as a jumping off point to start contextualizing it and talking about um, thought leadership for law firms. And um, a, few, a few of the things that I found significant were um, a, a disconnect that they found between um, the fact that B2B, bar, B2B marketer, marketers and salespeople um, tend to underestimate the impact of thought leadership on the issue of demand generation and sales efforts uh, compared to the actual feedback from B2B buyers themselves. So in that sense, B2B buyers are valuing thought leadership B2B providers, um, in this case, in our context, law firms, are underestimating the importance of that thought leadership. Um, and a, a few other things, um, they're finding that each year decision makers are spending more time, not less, reading thought leadership. I think there's a, um, a, a, an assumption that due to you know, busy schedules and short attention spans that people are actually consuming less content. This study found that more leaders are spending more time trying to find quality thought leadership. And, and speaking of quality, and I think this is a big one, and it, it might be um, uh, something that we, we, we dive into here, is that the majority of decision makers said that uh, they gain valuable insights from thought leadership only half of the time that they're um, investing time in, in reading and consuming thought leadership, and that they're generally disappointed by the lack of high quality thought leadership. 
Um, so I, I thought we'd just kind of uh, tee that up and, and ask you in your role as someone who um, helps law firms to gather feedback from the buyers of legal services, um, do you have any impressions about uh, the importance of thought leadership in the context of marketing and selling legal services? Absolutely. And, and I, I found the study fascinating. And the, the one statistic I think that jumped out at me first and foremost from the research that Edelman and LinkedIn did was the importance of relevance. And for me in the world that we live in, if it's not relevant, it's not important. And the, the study said that the, the respondents only found that about 66 or two-thirds of the uh, thought leadership of the content that they were consuming, whatever form that might appear in or in whatever environment, was actually relevant and relevant to what they're working on. And so there's a, a couple of layers to, to what that means, I think, for the legal profession writ large, as well as probably extrapolating to some other uh, professional services or B2B contexts. You know, one of the things that we find is that law firms spend a lot of time uh, thinking about their credentials and their experience as a differentiator. And at, at the level that we typically play in, being a smart lawyer with great resources is, to use a poker term, table stakes. It's what you do to understand your client's needs and understand their business and how you serve that need. We actually have a, uh, a tool and a resource that we provide to some of our clients. Uh, it's an added value roadmap. Uh, and, and what we've done is look at all the feedback that we've received and the conversations we've had and what drives the best relationships and what drives consumers, buyers of legal services to make good choices is not just that, that experience and the skill, but what else they can do to add value to the relationship. And when we look at all of the areas that the buyer is valuing when we're talking about adding value to the relationship, the number one area is understanding the business. And that's great. That means are you walking in their shoes? Are you aware of what's going on in the world? But it also means, are you delivering information, ideas, thoughts, and uh, thought leadership that are relevant to not just generally their needs, but specifically what's going on in the world today? The, the issue of relevance, I think, and, and business understanding or, or business knowledge are key. I mean, we definitely see that in, in survey after survey of, of general counsel, for example, of, you know, under, quote, understanding our business is, is, the, uh, is the, the number one factor oftentimes in, in their decision as to either hire or retain counsel. Um, what are some ways, Nat, that you can go about, you know, if you're, if you're a lawyer or law firm who's uh, thinking about using thought leadership to effectively differentiate oneself um, as an expert? And I think expertise is one of the, the only ways to authentically and uh, uh, effectively differentiate oneself, um, how can they go about determining what might be relevant or what might allow them to demonstrate their understanding of a client's business? Are there some, I guess, specific tactics or, or strategies that law firms can employ to, to do that effectively? Sure. And, and there, there's a few different aspects of that question that I think are important to note. If we break it down to you know, time spent with clients and then time spent producing content that's going to be consumed by clients and then 
and I'm thinking of blogs and newsletters and podcasts and and the more traditional written type thought leadership. And then there's the the event type experience. So looking at those areas, uh, and this time of year is a particularly important time of year for lawyers to reach out to their clients and even the folks in their network that are prospective clients and ask that simple question. When you think about what's happening uh, towards the end of this year and into next year, what are some of your challenges? What are some of the things that you're going to be focusing on? And asking that simple question, what is important to you, what are your needs, and what's going to be happening next that you think might be a challenge, that always reveals what's top of mind for them. And then you take the thought leadership that you're creating, particularly if it's in writing, and give them context for why it might be relevant or make introductions to other people that are at your firm or in, in the, your network. Sometimes it's just intro, making introductions to other people that may not even be a lawyer at the firm, but they're being challenged by a certain area or have a need in a certain area, and you have another client that's facing the same thing and getting them together. So being a thought leader is, from our perspective and, and what the client needs is how are you demonstrating that you're thinking about what is going to be happening next in their world and then delivering information, ideas, experiences that help them you know, move forward and, and look at the issues. I was doing a client feedback interview earlier this morning and, and talking to the CEO of a uh, mid-sized company, he said to me, you know, what I really value is when they uh, get me and my colleagues or peers together around a specific topic that's relevant to us. So not only do I hear from the firm what their view is, of that topic, and it could be regulatory, it could be immigration, it could be terms on a deal, but I'm also able to be in the room with other people that are seeing the same challenges, and they, they become the center of that universe of facilitating the conversations, not just with them, but with my colleagues or peers that I wouldn't otherwise necessarily have the opportunity to interact with. Hey, Nat, I'm curious if you ever run into any resistance from attorneys. And my question is sort of twofold. One is a hesitance to ask clients directly what is relevant to them, um, either because it feels like it subordinates their expertise or they're, they're showing a vulnerability. So resistance to ask. I'm curious if you come up, up against that and how you deal with it. And then secondly, a hesitance to actually embrace what the feedback is from a client. So the tendency for anyone, especially subject matter experts, is to orient their content around the table stakes that you talked about earlier, which is their mm -hmm. subject matter expertise, and not orient it around the questions that the clients are really asking and truly value. So do you get hesitance on either end, either to ask the questions or to embrace the answers that the client is giving to an attorney? Yeah, that's that's you're living in a world that uh, I uh, face kind of, and my partners and I face on a, a regular basis. We started our business in 2007, and I'd say in the last dozen years, the, tri the tide has, has changed, the industry's evolved, they understand that listening to the customer actually is valuable. Uh, there's not a business in the world other than maybe the legal profession where the the sellers of services aren't regularly talking to their customers about their needs. Uh, you talked about vulnerability or fear, uh, fear of the unknown. Uh, that is a big uh, factor that we have to help uh, sometimes 
firms overcome. The reality is that uh, there is a fair amount of complacency. There's a lot of, this is a good relationship. We're uh, doing good work. We, we're making good money. It's long-term. But uh, the, the structure, I think, of law firms in particular, where it's, even though these are collegial environments and sometimes even collaborative environments, it's still very much you know, your performance is measured by the work you're doing for a specific clients, and we're still at the nascent stages of incentives for growing relationships into other areas. So the fear of not just, uh, you know, if we know about areas where we're not necessarily serving the client and somebody else is doing that, that kind of head-in-the-sand attitude, I just – kind of don't want to know about that. Um, the reality is when that's happening, there's, there's risk. And uh, so we, we do hear that fear. Uh, we do hear the, the concerns, the vulnerability. I've got to say, though, in the thousands of client feedback interviews that we've done uh, over the years, that almost none of the feedback, I mean, statistically, it would be less than 5% of the feedback is, is really negative. And the negative feedback is always almost known before, but never really acknowledged or realized. You know, there's a, a maxim that we like to say, bad news never gets better with time. And sometimes lawyers have the bad habit of trying to avoid the bad news. Some of that's related to you know, the, the whole life cycle of becoming a lawyer and cr trying to create perfection, knowing the other side might debate that perfection and that it's an endless loop process uh, back and forth. So that vulnerability and the resiliency is a real, real challenge in the legal profession. Uh, so having the courage to say, hey, I know that there's areas that we can do better and there's also needs that you have that we may not be aware of, tell me about them. So working past that is, is a challenge in some firms. There's a simple recommendation we make, which is if a firm's going to go talk to their clients, start with a coalition of the willing. You know, pilot programs, get people to start talking to their clients where the, the generationally or stylistically or just personality-based, there, there's actually people that are good at this and doing this and then sharing the information. So once lawyers see that feedback is not about finding the fault in the relationship, but it's about optimizing the service delivery and understanding clients' needs, it makes it much easier to expand the programs and those that are resistant are uh, – become less resistant over time when they say this is this is about understanding needs and, and creating opportunities. And then what? I know that was a long answer. So the second part of your question, I'm going to give a really s short answer to, which is if you're not prepared to act on feedback, don't ask. The right. worst thing you can do is take the time of a client to say, what do you need? What do you value? How can we do more, do better? What else can we do to deliver you know, thought leadership and other things to you? They give you that answer and then nothing happens. Right, Jay, and especially when it comes to thought leadership, um, if you're going to ask the client, what do they need to know? What are they concerned about? What's relevant to them? You really need to embrace that in your thought leadership content planning, don't you, Jay? Yeah, you absolutely do. I mean, I, that's that's fundamental to it. I mean, to me, it's, it's almost uh, – I mean, obviously, it, it seems – ridiculous that you would not do that and that gives you a roadmap on how to do this effectively otherwise you're just guessing unfortunately that is you know what we find that sometimes the the topic of content creation and the act of content creation is something that's done ad hoc as opposed to um, pursuant to a strategic process and I guess that's one of the reasons why in our own 
uh, survey that we conducted um, on law firm content marketing, the firms that had a written documented strategy in place, which oftentimes probably is informed by client feedback they're receiving are achieving the most success from their content marketing efforts. Um, Nat, uh, one thing that I'm interested in, I mean, I think that one, uh, one obvious benefit of asking your clients um, what they want to learn more about and, and having that inform your thought leadership is the fact that if, if clients see you doing that, if they, if, if they see you answering the questions that they have, they're gonna feel more invested in your content and as a result in you and your firm. Um, I, I'm curious whether you've, you've seen any um, or, or gotten any feedback from clients about this issue of um, collaboration in the creation of content between outside lawyer and say in-house counsel. Um, I think that's, you know, we've seen that as an effective way both to, um, you know, get content created as well as to deepen the relationship between law firm and client is to co-author articles together or speak on panels together. It's a really effective way, I think, for lawyers to stay in front of uh, their clients, even in gaps between specific engagements by, you know, suggesting that you do something that um, gives them a platform to, to spread their thought leadership as well as your own. Any thoughts on that in terms of the effectiveness of, of collaborating with your client in the context of content creation? Yeah, it's a big topic, and I think you touched on two two really important points. One one of our other mantras is this is a one-size-fits-one world. So presuming that someone has the time, interest, or disposition to collaborate on thought leadership is is sometimes a mistake that we see made in that area. But I really liked what you said about presentations and programs, and I want to build on that in just one key area that I think you were – heading towards but didn't specifically mention, uh, which is also creating content in collaboration with your clients that can be used internally at the organization. So if there's a regulatory issue or an employment issue that's changing or there's something big like GDPR, I guess that's regulatory as well, that happened last year, helping create even a presentation that the, then can be co-presented internally with the business people and the other lawyers positions your client as a thought leader within their organization. And it's really easy for them to take the presentation, the topic, the, the framework for that uh, discussion and use it over and over again. And that's adding a ton of value to the relationship. And the, the broader theme is when you're inviting your clients to participate on something, make it really easy for them to collaborate on that content, whether it's writing the first draft, creating the outline, interviewing them in advance and saying, what, what would you like the uh, outcome of this to be? And then also being really thoughtful about the audience. You know, one thing that we hear too often is that content created by firms is too heavy in legalese and not, in biz and not strong enough in business speak. We often say that for every, you know, for communicate for many many communications that you deliver you deliver to clients, there's there's three bullet points that really need to be addressed. Sometimes even specifically as bullet points, which is what's the issue, what's the recommendation, and what's the next step, or what do you do with that information? And remembering when you're creating thought leadership, who's the audience, what what do they do with this information is really important. Yeah. Um, so Nat, I'll, we'll, we'll kind of wrap up here with one final um, question. And 
you know, the, the obvious answer to this question uh, I'll throw out there is you hire a Wicker Park group, but short yeah. of that, um, for, for an individual lawyer who's looking to optimize their, their thought leadership, um, how, how would you suggest they go about, you know, soliciting this feedback from clients? I mean, I, there's a few different ways, obviously, you know, is it a, is it a conversation? Is it a survey? Is it an email? Or again, is it, in this case, is there not a one size fits all approach to it? Um, just any thoughts as to how someone might go about asking these types of questions? And, and it may seem like a silly question, but I don't know, can you address, can you address that? Don't be afraid to ask, you know, and, and use what you know about the client, what their style is. I was doing interviews recently uh, with a company where uh, the, the deputy general counsel said, you know, I want to get together. We're in the same city. We're not far from each other. Like, let's get together occasionally. Go grab, you know, a bite or a after work, you know, happy hour kind of thing. And let's just chat about what's going on versus the general counsel who is, uh, busy, uh, is playing a strategic role, has a personal life that involves family, that, and she never wants to socialize with her outside counsel. So it starts with knowing the style of your clients and then adapting how you approach this notion of understanding their needs uh, and, and react to that. So sometimes it's phone, sometimes it's important to do it in person. Two quick related points to that, though. One is when you're making the ask, Tell them what you're asking. The worst thing a lawyer can do to their client is say, are you available next week? I'd like to talk to you about something. That automatically creates a level of anxiety. What's, is it bad news? Is the firm merging and there's going to be a conflict? Are you leaving? Are you going somewhere else? So just say, you know, it's really important to me that I understand what's going on in your world. I'd love to spend a few minutes uh, talking about it. And from a business development perspective, the more often you can go and spend time at your client's organization, not only do you get to spend time with them, but you get to meet other people that you wouldn't otherwise uh, meet. And there's tremendous value in just showing up and understanding what their environment's like, who their colleagues are, and you often get introduced. And I think one other note that's really important in thought leadership, and we hear this more and more, we've heard it for a long time, but it's great when a firm creates uh, emails and alerts and newsletters that gets pushed out and timeliness is important, relevancy is important, but the personal note with that is is maybe the single most important thing. The firm creates content, it's going out to clients, forward that to a client and say, hey, this is an issue I think is really important to you. Do you have some time in the next week or so that we can have a 15 minute chat at no charge about why I think you should be thinking about this and maybe some next steps? That's great. Um, before we let you go, Nat, I wonder if I could uh, pick your brain on one last topic because you brought it up and it's been something that Jay and I have been covering quite a bit lately. And it refers to a key finding in the Edelman report. And I'll quote from the report, which we'll obviously link to in the show notes. But among the three key findings, this one jumped out at me. And maybe it's because, of, again, we've had guests on talking about this. We've done our blog posts about this. And the quote is, there is a missing opportunity to capitalize on the full funnel potential of thought leadership. And I imagine they're referencing the full sales funnel, which is something that's been near and dear, again, to our hearts, because we're trying to get attorneys to orient their thinking um, as, as it relates to thought leadership as more than just content marketing, but content business development. So I'm wondering what your 
perspective is how thought leadership support, uh, how does it support or reinforce the business development work that lawyers are doing? Any feedback or insights you have along those lines? Yeah, I could probably spend another half hour just giving you examples of how consumers have found thought leadership to be critical in the decision to hire outside counsel. But one thing that really stands out uh, that's important to what you just raised is the the validating impact, uh, particularly in the legal space, of thought leadership. So if you, so, lawyers get hired because somebody recommends them. You know, certainly the platform matters, the firm, the reputation, but when somebody has a need, when a prospective client has a need in an area where they're not currently using outside counsel, the first thing they do is reach out to their network and say, who do you know that does this? And the second thing they do is type in that individual's name into a browser, into a search engine, and what comes up really defines them. So it's going to be their bio, their LinkedIn profile, and thought leadership is going to be next. And as soon as they're creating thought leadership that is search engine optimized, that's relevant to the topic, and when a prospective buyer says, oh, this person actually is speaking, writing, podcasting, uh, doing presentations, you know, is in the industry as someone of authority on this topic, it, it's that validating moment that really says, okay, I want to talk to this person. Yeah, that's great. And since you said you could talk on it for another half hour, maybe we'll have you on again and we'll just focus in on that topic. How does that sound? It'd be my pleasure. Great. Well, it was great having you. Um, just tell us one last time how we can either find you or the firm, you know, how you like to you know, connect on LinkedIn or how do we find you and learn more about your firm and what you do? Yeah, our, our website is Wicker Park Group. Dot com and Wicker Park is a neighborhood in Chicago. And when my partners, Laura Tara and I were getting together back in 2007 to think about starting a business, we were having dinner in the Wicker Park neighborhood in Chicago. And we decided ultimately that uh, we didn't want to be a, lo a law firm with Maherg, Slavin and Weintritt as the firm name and thought Wicker Park Group would stick. So you can find us at wickerparkgroup.com. I'm on Twitter at Nat Slavin, less active today than I once was. Easy to find at Nat or Nathaniel Slavin on LinkedIn. Uh, we blog every Tuesday. You can sign up for our uh, newsletter through our website at wickerparkgroup.com. Cool. Good. And if uh, you're driving and you couldn't write all that down, just go to the thoughtleadershipproject.com and look at the show notes. We'll have all of that linked up. And thanks again, Nat, and uh, to our audience. Thank you for listening. And thank you, Jay. And we'll see everyone next time. Thank you, guys. Thanks for doing this important work. Thank you for listening to the Thought Leadership Project. For show notes, additional resources, and links to the tools discussed on today's episode, visit thethoughtleadershipproject.com.